We're talking about getting a new future. Anybody want a new future? Yes. Yes. We need a new future. Jesus loves you too much to leave you the same. And so we want to learn some things about how God works in our life, and we want to be able to partner with the Holy Spirit. Because one of the things the Holy Spirit is doing is he's changing you. He's transforming you. I want you to say this with me. My circumstances do not define me, but my choices will. Your circumstances don't define who you are, but the choices that you make in your circumstances will define you. If you want to know where you're going to be, your, your todays determine your tomorrow. The choices that you make determine the paths that you end up taking. So our lives, what your life basically consists of is a handful of choices. You make only a handful of choices, significant choices in life, and then you spend the rest of your life managing those choices. Who you're going to marry, that's a significant choice. And then you spend the rest of your life managing that choice, where you're going to work, what career you're going to have, what path you're going to take, you know, all of these different things. Those things are choices, and you make that choice, and then the rest of your life is, 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 is um, like a subset of choices that, towards those uh, major choices. So you can't control everything. Say this with me. I can't control everything, but I can control some things. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control your attitude. You can't control, like, the, the, the place that you were born. You can't control the economic or the social status in which you've been, you found yourself in. But you can control the path that you take, and you can control, and you can change. Did you know that? It's one of the greatest things that God's ever given to us is the ability to change. And it's one of the things that people fear more than anything. They fear change. Some people are afraid of the dark. Some people are afraid of public speaking. Some people are afraid of, t of, of death, and most people are afraid of change. I think it's like top three. So number one is death, number two is the fear of public speaking, and number three is change. People don't like to change. We just don't. But change is necessary. If you want what you ha never had, you must do what you've never done. You know, I quote this from Einstein all the time, but the level of thinking of the current day is not sufficient to solve the problems that we face. In other words, if we keep thinking the same way, that's not going to be sufficient to solve the problems that keep repeating themselves in your life. You can change, and one of the ways you can change is by changing what you consume, right? What you read, what you watch, what you listen to. Can I get a witness? All right. And you can also change who you associate with, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Say this with me. I need people. Life is never a one-person show. The way we're created, loneliness doesn't do well for us. Have you seen people who are lonely or live by themselves? You ever seen a hermit? They get kind of weird, right? They end up talking to themselves. They're going to talk to somebody. They talk to squirrels, talk to trees. They end up like, you know. We're created, to, to, we're created for one another. People are dysfunction, and people are broken, and people hurt people. And people tell me, you know, Pastor, you don't understand. People hurt me. That's why I don't like people. I said, I understand. People hurt people. But you have to understand, too, that you hurt other people as well. You know, we're, we're broken and we're damaged. And from our hurt and from our pain, we end up hurting others. But that still doesn't give us an excuse because we're made. We're made to be codependent upon the Lord, and we're made to be interdependent upon one another. It's one of the reasons God established the church. It's the restoration of family. It's the restoration of broken relationships. So of all the people that are supposed to be healthy in relationships, the Christians are supposed to be healthy in relationships. 
We're to know how to deal with our issues. We're to know how to forgive. We're to know how to confront and how to create constructive dialogue and constructive solutions. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God. We're to be experts in relationships. There's really no excuse. One of the things the Bible doesn't give a lot of excuses for, but it gives no excuse for broken relationships among believers. There's no excuse for that. It gives no excuse for unforgiveness, none of it. Now, you can have a person that doesn't want to reconcile, and that's okay. But, and that's, that's that person's issue. You know, it takes two people to reconcile a, 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 bro, a relationship. So if the relationship's broken, both have to be willing to reconcile or it doesn't reconcile. But the Bible tells us that if you're spiritual, you'll seek to restore it. Those that are spiritual restore, right? And so if you're spiritual and you're actually following the Spirit, you're going to make an effort to restore. It doesn't mean that that person's going to respond. They may not respond. They may not respond positively. They may respond intensely negatively. And that may, that's okay. But what, the, what Scripture expects us to do is at least make an effort. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't accept that we just completely sever and break relationships so quickly. Okay? So it's important to understand that. We need people because success is never a one-person one show. And so what we need in our lives, I'm going to give you some types of people that we need in our lives. And not, not only these types of people do you need in your life, but this is the type of person that you need to become as well. Because you're going to be that person in someone else's life. While you need those people in your life, you need to be that part, this type of person in other people's lives. First thing you need is you need an ideal. You say, well, what's that all about? Well, an ideal, an ideal begins with you understanding the type of person that you want to be. People never even determine this. They never, well, I'm just, you know, most people are just drifting through life. Have you ever asked yourself and ever confronted the issue and asked yourself and, and questioned yourself as to what type of person do you want to be? What type of person do you want to be? Who do you want to be? So we have to find an ideal. What does that mean? Someone who has gone where you want to go and someone who has done what you want to do. It's the way that we learn. We learn. You ever watch children learn, right? They learn through listening. They learn through watching. And they learn through emulating, right? They mirror you. They emulate what you do, right? And so what we need to do is we need to find an ideal. We need to find people like if you want to be this, then you find people who have done that, who have succeeded at that, and you begin to follow their life and begin to mirror what they have done and, and see and understand and really just disassemble what they've accomplished. And you might need four or five of those people. It's not necessarily one. You might say, I like the way this person does business or the way that this person handles business, so I'd like to emulate that. I like the way this person handles their marriage, so I'd like to like them emulate this. I really like the way this guy or this person parents their children or raises their children or their attitude or anything like that. You might have to find different people in different areas, but you need to find the ideal. You understand that? We have to find ideals and we have to see that like, and the reason is, is we don't know what we're doing, Right? You don't know what you're doing, and it's okay. J Jesus doesn't expect us to know what we're doing, but what he does expect is for us to not stay the same. He's not expecting you to come out of the gate like knowing what you're doing. None of us do. And if you think you know what you're doing, get married, right? You're going to learn really fast. You don't know what you're doing. And then as soon as you get the handle on marriage, have kids. And then it's going to be really clear to you again that you don't know what you're doing, okay? 
So we don't know what we're doing. We love to think that way. I love to tell the story about the lady. And, uh, my daughter was small and, uh, at the time, and I was bringing her to a job my wife had, and, um, uh, and I had to wait in the waiting room, and I had just gotten there, and, and uh, uh, Mariah was in the car with me, and she was hungry, and she's crying, and I see the glorious golden arches of McDonald's in front of me. <laughs> Nothing to eat in the car, so I go through the drive-thru, and I get French fries. Right? And I'm putting them in, and she's, ah, you know, and anybody who's driving in a car and you've got a screaming toddler next to you, you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This was before everything was healthy, okay? Now you can actually go and get something relatively healthy. This was before, like, juice boxes and snacks, right? So you, you, I put the french fries in the, in the air conditioner and would cool them off, and then I would give them to her, and she'd calm down. And I walk in, and I'm, like, really flustered, and I got the diaper bag, and I got the baby, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, wow, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. Sherry was doing her thing. And I'm talking to a lady in the, in the, in the, um, in the, uh, in the lobby. And I'm like, man, my, my daughter was just really hungry. And I just had to stop and get her something to eat. I said, man, I thank God there's a McDonald's across the street. And this woman looks at me and goes, I would never give my kids McDonald's. <laughs> She's like, that is the worst food. And I look at her and I go, how many kids do you have? She goes, well, I don't have any kids. But when I have kids, I will never give my kids McDonald's. <laughs> She's exactly right. Everybody's got an opinion, right? Little experience, but lots of opinions. Oh, well, and I have children. I'm not going to give them McDonald's. I'm going to grind. I'm going to use a, I'm going to grind all of their food. And, you know, yeah, okay. Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> you have to determine what type of person that you want to be. So we need an ideal. What kind of woman do you want to be? What kind of woman do you aspire to be? What kind of man do you want to be? What kind of husband? What kind of wife? What kind of business leader? What kind of, what kind of you know, entrepreneur or, or, or Christian do you want to be? What kind of follower of Jesus do you want to be? What do you want to come from your life? Find those ideals and begin to emulate them. That's what you need to find. We, we draw so much from negative influences. Negative influences are very easy to find. You don't have to look far. Can I get a witness? You don't have to look far to find negative influences, but you have to find, you have to look, you have to seriously search to find gold and seriously search to find good. Then you need coaches. Who are coaches? So you need the ideal, that's what I want to be, then you need coaches. Coaches are the type of people that, get, that you learn from and give you practical advice. They give you the practical advice that you need. The greatest coach, of course, is the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you. You don't have a coach, Jesus has provided one for you, right? He'll not only coach you, he'll tell you where to find another coach. He'll lead you not and say, okay, I'm going to coach you in these areas, but I'm going to coach you on how to find a coach that will help you in this area. This is what he does. This is however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he's going to guide you into truth. He's going to coach you. And one of the things that happens is like, I don't know who you all like, like, and you know, and like, uh, well, let's just use we'll, use, we'll use Joyce Myers. Anybody know who Joyce Myers is? Yeah. Okay. So people go, oh, I'd love to just have coffee with Joyce Myers. I'd love to just sit down and just let her talk to me. And I'd love to be mentored and discipled by Joyce Myers. Joyce Myers has one of the largest media ministries out there, bar none. You want to have coffee with Joyce Myers? You go get yourself a Joyce Myers book, get yourself a cup of coffee, and you sit down for 30 minutes, and you're now having coffee with Joyce Myers. It's true. We have no excuses. We want to know these people. And the most of, like, like, there's so much information out there. People go, well, pastor, I don't have time to read. I just don't have time to read. Right? I didn't like reading at all. Okay, so just, let's just be clear. Probably less than 20% of the population actually enjoys reading. 
That's a fact. I read because I understand leaders are readers. And I want to be a leader. And if I don't read, then I'm never going to be a leader. If I don't put myself in a position where I'm influenced by people smarter than me and a little further than me, and if I don't discipline myself and create a margin in my life to receive from them, I'm not going anywhere. The Holy Spirit just doesn't impart it to you by default. You don't just wake up and all of a sudden you have all this incredible knowledge. The Holy Spirit works off of what you invest in yourself. That's why his work in most people's lives is very limited because they have put no investment in them. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word is bara. So God assembles something from nothing. He puts together the material. And from the material, the Holy Spirit came upon that. So the Holy Spirit works off of what we invest. If you don't put anything in you, he's not going to draw anything out of you. I'm just waiting for God to tell me something. Well, why don't you put something in you? And once you start putting material, you put the word of God in you, put influences in you, put certain things in you, begin to be inspired by different people, different places, different things, and watch how the Lord begins to build that in a positive direction in your life. He'll begin to use it. You can be mentored through books, videos, and audio. We have no excuses. We carry around on us. So like, okay, like in the 60s, you have a more powerful computer than probably NASA did right here on your phone. This is, this is the most amazing device ever. You live in the greatest era ever. You have no excuses. You, you have access to data unlimited. Video, audio, articles. You can get books. You want a book? Click. Ooh, there's the book. You don't even need to go to the bookstore anymore. If you don't want to, you can Bluetooth it into your phone. You know? Is that crazy? Like you sit there and you have your phone on, and what's on your phone is coming through the stereo in your car, and you're listening to it. That's nuts. We take this stuff for granted. We don't really realize what we have access to. Your grandparents didn't have access to this. It's true. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have access. We have, this generation has no excuses for not transforming, and we have more data and more information than any generation before us, period. Period. I mean, you can literally go online and learn anything you want. You want to learn to be a plumber? Go online. There's how-to videos on how to be a plumber. You want to learn to take a car apart? You can learn. My son's like, hey, Dad, I was watching some videos, and uh, I think I can change the brakes on the car. <laughs> I'm like, slow your roll, okay? Slow the roll here a little bit. <laughs> but there's videos for everything, everything. My wife loves orchids, Sherry's orchid. You ever want to give her something nice, give her an orchid. She'll be your friend forever. She loves orchids. And so she'll just watch endless videos on orchids. Endless videos. And I'm not into orchids, but she watches so many videos on orchids that all of a sudden I learned to take care of orchids just because I keep passing through the room. And when you have your orchid and you have to repot the orchid, and, and I'm outside and we got these orchids, and I'm like, hey, Sherry, you might want to, we, we might need to repot these orchids right here. I'm out there watering them the way they say, you know, this is an aerated root orchid. It has to be watered every day. Now, don't give it direct sunlight. Make sure it's done. I'm out there moving stuff around. I'm not even into orchids. <laughs> you can do anything. If you, we have power. We can be mentored. There's no excuse. Said so you don't have time. You, you, you have a commute. Most of us commute in the mornings. You choose. You, we have downtime. We choose what we watch. You can choose what you watch. And I realize sometimes life's an information overload, so you just want to veg out and watch something that just doesn't do anything. You just want to kind of sit there and drool, because, uh, you know, I mean, I'm with you. Like, I mean, anybody, know, anybody here with me, right? Like, you're just burnt, man, and you just want to watch something mindless. 
You know, I tell you guys, I watch, I watch uh, old movies. My son's like, Dad, this new movie's out on Netflix. You got to watch it. It's like Triple X Frontier. It's about these guys, and they're going in their drug dealer house, and these special forces guys are taking down all this stuff. And, and he's like, it's really intense. This is what my son says to me. And I go, I go, Elias, I don't need intense. Your dad needs calm, okay? Intense is not what I'm looking for. So I watch How Green Is My Valley on... Uh, you know, the old movie network. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm the mellow guy, you know? And I like intense, but my life tends to be intense. So I don't need any more intensity. He's young. He's got nothing to do. So he's like, bring it on, man. Bring it on. <laughs> they're jumping out of airplanes. I mean, they're like, he's, I'm like, no, no, no. But we have a choice. We have a choice what we do with our downtime, and you can invest in yourself. You don't need to do it like 24-7, but you need to create a margin. Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What you put in your heart is what's going to determine the course of your life. You have to really take a time and go, what am I receiving into my heart? What am I watching? People that all they do is watch news, it's amazing how negative their perspective is. Why? Because that's all they're filling themselves with, is negative information. You're not guarding your heart. The Bible says we have gates, the eyes a gate and the ears a gate. What is a gate to? It's a gate to the heart. And so you have to be careful what you're watching. And if it's not edifying, if it's not uplifting, if it's not encouraging you, if it's not investing in you or drawing you forward in a positive direction, you might want to consider getting rid of it. You just might. Young people with the music that you listen to, oh, it's going to hate on music. Yeah, but watch how it influences you. Watch the attitude that you have when you listen to certain music. Watch. You, you fill yourself with this music, and all of a sudden you have certain attitudes, and those attitudes are almost coming right out of that music. It, it, and the point is, is that what we are essentially vessels. What we put into us is what we become. And if you're not investing in yourself, and you're putting certain things in you, that's typically what you become. We're to guard our hearts, we're to invest in our hearts, we're to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. You need partners. This is another type of person that you need. I'm on C. Yeah, there we go. You're awesome, Matt. You are on it. We, partners are those who share common goals and common interests. They work with you. So you need people that have an affinity, right? We need these types of people in our lives, people that work with you, that say that they're moving in the same direction as you, that want to become or do what you're doing, and they're, and they're positive influences, and they're partnering with you. Philippians 1.4 says, in every prayer for all of you, I pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We need partnership. We need to work together. You know, the gospel especially is a, is, a, is a combined effort. Jesus calls his church a body, right? We're a body. We have to function as one. We have to learn to unify and move in a common direction for the glory of God. It's the same thing in a, in a family. The, it, the marriage is a partnership. Can I get a witness? Yes, it is. It's, it is a, not a competition. It is complementarian. The marriage relationship is to complement one another. You're not competing. Okay, she does that better than you. So what? Have a Cinnabon. Relax. There's things that you do better than her. I get it, right? You need friends. I love this. What are friends? Friends are people who walk in when others are walking out. Let's be very clear. I mean, if we have a look at Facebook, we all got 10,000 friends, right? But those people will walk out. Who a friend is is the one that walks in when everybody else is leaving. 
When everybody else, when, when, thing, when things happen in your life to where, and people don't want to associate with that and nobody wants anything to do with you, they leave. The ones that are really your friends are the ones that walk in. Amen. We need those types of people. They walk in when you're walking out. If you have the wrong people, you're going to be in the wrong destination. That's just a fact. The Bible says, but don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Doing it by, see, so a lot of us, we like to do it by ourselves, right? We're like, do it ourselves. What do-it-yourselfing does is it gives you speed, but it doesn't give you longevity. When you do it together, longevity is what you gain. You're going to move slower, but you're going to build something more lasting. So I wrote that we've been playing off this idea of 24 months the last few weeks. Within 24 months, you can be on the road. If you have the right vision, if you make the right steps, and you're with the right people, you can be on the road to a new direction. You can be on the road to a totally different life. Or... Within 24 months, if you do nothing, you can be in the ditch. It's true. Anybody want to be in the ditch? We don't want to be in the ditch, but we end up in the ditch. How do we end up in the ditch? Well, one of the reasons Jesus says this, leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind are following the blind, then they're going to fall into the ditch. We have no vision. We have no purpose. We have no direction for our lives. And we end up following people with no vision, no purpose, and no direction for their, for their, for their life. And everybody's just kind of wandering around. And the Bible says that that type of lifestyle, that type of decision, that type of environment, you're going to end up in the ditch. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. It's actually the word restraint. And what it means, where there is no vision, people are all over the place, unrestrained, saying yes to things you should say no to, saying no to things you should say yes to, because you have no vision. You have no clear vision of where you want to go. You have no clear vision of the person that you want to be. Marriages is the same. What kind of kids do you want to raise? What kind of relationship do you want to have? What kind of career do you want to have? What kind of faith do you want to have? All of that stuff relates it. If you don't put a vision in that, and it's a partnership with the Lord, it's what you want, submitted unto him, hearing what he says, coming together and bringing it forth, that's how it works. But if you don't make that exercise, and it's, it's hard, most people are lazy, I want to tell you that, okay? Christians are notoriously lazy. We don't understand. We think, well, Jesus is going to do it all for us. He's going to do it all. And if God wanted that to happen, it would happen. It has always been a partnership. Always. Jesus not doing for you, him doing it with you. Jesus died for the whole world, but he can't save you without you being involved in the process. Even though he did it all, you still have to partner with the process or you're not saved. It's always been a partnership. Always. And so we have to, do, we have to do, take the time to develop the relationship with the Lord, an intimacy that we've never had. We coach religion in our churches, not intimacy. We teach fairy Jesus, not relational. Jesus is going to hover over your life and just spread nothing but good and love over you. That's fairy Jesus. That's not Jesus of the Gospels, right? And we teach religion. We just stoically obey. Religion, listen, discipline is the lowest form of discipleship. Discipline to the Christian is very important, but it's the default mode of the computer. Your, your, your computer has a default mode. Some of you have, I don't know, I don't know what Mac has, but I know, uh, uh, what's the other one? Like, yeah, the other PC has a DOS system. That's the default mode of the computer. That's the baseline operating system. That operating system makes everything else go. 
Discipline in the Christian's life is the operating system that makes all other programs run. So without discipline, the programs can't run. But it's not real fun to run a computer out of the DOS program, is it? You're just, you know, typing code in the little green things or whatever it is that, you know, you're just doing all of that. Discipline is the baseline, but we are to move past discipline and we're to move into relationship. So where our motivation is no longer out of discipline, our motivation is out of love. The love of Christ is to compel us. And if you're not compelled by love, then by all means discipline yourself. But what discipline is, and that's why we have these hardcore, stoic, immovable Christians, because they live a life only of discipline. You can't maintain discipline. Anybody try? I've tried. I've failed. I've yet to see the person who can maintain it through discipline because you can't. But you can maintain it through love because love is power. Love is the spirit. When you're in a relationship with love and all of a sudden you're doing it out of a love relationship and it's amazing how the motivation is there. Discipline is the baseline of discipleship, but we are to build and go beyond that into a relationship. And in order to build a relationship with the Lord, it gets messy because most of us don't know how to do it. Most of we have, we have lies that we believe. We have different things that we think, well, God doesn't really love me or God's distant or God doesn't care or I'm not worthy or does he really speak to me? Am I really hearing him? Is that really what he wants? It takes time. You have to develop yourself. You have to develop yourself. It's a nuance. And it, once you start developing yourself, you become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger in the relationship. We have to. That's how it works. So here's some things. Right people. What do right people in our lives do and what type of a person should we be in the lives of others? Right people help make up for your weaknesses. When you have the right person in your life, they make up for your weaknesses. It's true. So what does it look like? Everyone in this room, you have strengths. You have things that you do exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. You don't do everything well, but there are some things that you do do well. The understanding here is that to, to build into your strengths and to staff your weaknesses. Find people who are better at things than you are and empower them to do that. Now let's just play it out in the home, okay? So there's a lot of things that my wife is way better than me at, but me being a man, I'm the man. I tell you what's going on around here. And so I would walk around in the early days. I've been married almost 30 years, so this is long gone, but we're just going to revisit the past here for a minute. We're not getting shovels out. We're not digging up anything. That's all stuff. Some stuff's buried, but we can remember. <laughs> she would do things really, really well, and I would walk in, and I would be like, you know, nah, you should do it like that. No, I don't think that's the way we should do it. And she'd look at me, and she'd go, do you want to do it? <laughs> Ladies, you should try that. Do you want to do it? Oh, you don't? Okay, that's great. Because then she'd go, and I'd go, yeah, I think I do want to try. And then she'd go, great. She'd throw whatever and walk in the room and completely leave me to do it. And then I'd realize, wow, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm completely in over my head. <laughs> my son will say to me, Dad, you're in charge of the house. You're the man. Just, you know, lay down the law, Dad. I'm like, Elias, I'm the directional leader, but your mother runs the home. This environment right here, it's whatever mama needs is what mama gets. This is how this, this situation. It doesn't mean that I don't have input. It's just that she's better at it than me. She's better at it. Guys are better. If you want to take us raising kids, guys are better at coaching and mentoring children. Women are better nurturers. Women are actually optimized nurturers. They're optimized by God. It's in their created nature to be a nurturer. 
They're sensitive. They understand the needs of the person. Women, women are typically far more spiritual and far more intuitive because God has optimized them as a caregiver. And they're not only responsible for themselves, they're responsible for the child. And so women are very keen to their environment. They're very tuned in. And all the ladies said, what? Amen. That's right. They're very tuned in. Guys are kind of like, Duh. you know, we're just kind of like, because we're not optimized for that. We're optimized for strength. We're optimized for drive. We're optimized for achievement. We're optimized for protection. That's why guys go into warrior mode. You threatening my family? You know, men go into warrior mode really quick. Can I get a witness, guys? I mean, you, you get, you, you, like, let them tell your kid something at school. Let them put your kid out of school. Oh, it's on. You're like, what? They did what? I'm going down there now and talking to that principal. No, dad, you don't have to. No, really. It's like, I mean, I, mean, I go into warrior mode. Because <laughs> it's what I'm optimized for. Women are optimized for different things. It doesn't mean one is better. It's a complementarian relationship. There are things in business, there are things in workplaces, there are things in life that you are not good at. The idea is that you lend your strength to others and allow others to lend their strengths to you. Just because you're not good at something doesn't mean you're a failure. So we think. A lot of people are like, I gotta be good at everything. You're not gonna be good at everything. It's just not gonna happen. I wanna be good at everything. I wanna be Michael Jordan, but that's just not gonna happen. I wanna slam dunk. I wanna be Tom Brady throwing touchdowns in the Super Bowl, but that ship has sailed. I'm just, it's not going to happen, right? I'm not, it just never, I gave it my best. I played football. It didn't happen. Basketball just was not in the cards for me. It just did not happen. I can jump about that high off the ground, right? Just didn't, didn't work. <laughs> there will be those who are better than you. You have to celebrate them and empower them. Right people bring out the best. The type of person is like, not only do they add, do they help, but they bring out the best in you. We need people around us that challenge us. We need people around us that inspire us. And we need people around us that actually correct you and go, God, dude, you're kind of leaving the reservation here. I don't think that's a good idea. You need those type of people in your life. Just as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpen and shape each other. Hebrews says this, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for the one who's promised is faithful and let us consider one another to do what? To provoke one another unto love and good works. We're supposed to provoke one another, right? Our lives are supposed to be a provocation one to the other for goodness. Someone gets a job and gets a promotion and they're like, man, I just believe, man, I prayed, I believe God. It's been a long time, I had to wait, but God gave me, a, I feel like the Lord has made provision for me. He's given me a promotion, I've got a raise and everything. And then we go, oh, look at you. Who do you think you are? And we start getting all this jealousy and like the snarky stuff that goes on in our lives. What we need to do is celebrate that with each other because what God did for them, they'll do, he'll do for you. And why don't you believe God and you begin to ask the Lord for the same thing and begin to patiently pray into that and see what God does for you? So you, one of the things is probably the person puts a person in front of you and goes, I got promoted and I got a raise. I prayed God gave it to me. And you feel provoked probably because God is trying to stir you to believe him for something greater. Could it be? It's true. We're to provoke one another to good works. Man, we prayed, we laid hands, we believed God, we released healing over this person, and they got healed. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, why don't you start to, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this idea that we draw one another out unto excellence. And the church community and the Christian community is a celebratory community. When you're blessed, we are, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. 
So when someone receives something good, we're to honor that and bless them, knowing God is no respecter of persons. And if it bothers you, then you believe him. You believe him. And he may say to you, I don't have that for you. I got something else for you. I got something for you that's just tailor-made for you. If I gave you that, it doesn't harmonize with who you are. But I will give you what harmonizes for who you are. Because that's really what he wants to do. He wants to align us with who we are. And that's what creates the, the, the aliveness and the resonance. Together, people get more done. So they took two, um, what are they called? Two draft horses, and they tied them together. So each draft horse, they're these big, like, plow horses, kind of Clydesdale-looking things. And so they took two draft horses. One draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. So the second draft can pull 8,000 pounds. And they figured, well, if we put these two horses together, they're going to be able to pull 16,000 pounds. But when they put them together, they realized that those two horses can pull 24,000 pounds. And so teamwork always, it's forced multiplication, always amplifies what one person can do. So it's not equal. So you have two horses each pulling 8,000 pounds. Well, logic says they should pull 16. But the reality is, is they pull three times that. And so in partnership and collaboration with other people, you get more done, a lot more done. Right people help you with that. Two are better than one because they can accomplish more by working together, Ecclesiastes. Right people are there to pick you up. We need to pick each other up. The, say this with me. The journey is long. I am going to stumble, and I am going to fumble. You will. Mark it down. Most people don't try anything because they don't want to stumble. Most people don't try anything because they don't want to fumble. They don't want to make a mistake. You're going to make mistakes. The journey's long. You're going to make mistakes. If you fall, and a companion can help you get up. But if you fall by yourself, you're in real trouble, Ecclesiastes 4.10, because there's no one there to pick you up. We need people to help us. A lot of times when bad things happen to us, and we fall, and things happen, and life just collapses on us, we get discouraged, and we don't want to go around anymore. We don't want to go on anymore. Anybody? Right? Everybody over 30 has got their hand up. Right? Everybody under 20 is like, no, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I don't know. Because <laughs> life hasn't visited them yet. <laughs> life is an amazing teacher. It's an amazing teacher. Draws us to the, to the things. We need to encourage one another. We need to be there with one another. It's a story of a lady who lost her husband, an elderly woman who lost her husband. And the woman across the street, the neighbor, the lady went out to look for her daughter. And um, her daughter's like maybe nine years old. And she went out and she saw her daughter sitting across the street with the old elderly woman and sitting on a porch swing. And so she just kind of left him alone because she knew the neighbor. But when she came back in, um, she asked her daughter, she said, what were you doing over there with Mrs. So-and-so? And she said, I was mourning with her. I was, you know. And all her daughter was doing was just sitting there on the, on the porch swing with her. And she said, Mom, I was mourning with her. We need people. We need to be in each other's lives. Sometimes your presence is enough to encourage. It's not the words you say. There are, sometimes there are things that happen in our lives. Words don't bring me. There's nothing to say. You're at a loss for words because there's really no words. But what comforts is your presence. What comforts is being there with the person. Sometimes, like the Bible even tells us this, that when we see each other, there's a mutual encouragement. We're mutually encouraged just by seeing each other. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we're like country dogs on Sunday morning. When we come together as Christians, we're like, hey, what's going on? How's it going? We're glad to see each other. We don't even know why because God blesses the union of the saints. Koinonia. Diversity. You know what I mean? Look, at, look, at the, look around. Most of us wouldn't be friends with each other without Jesus. Most of us wouldn't even be in the same room with each other without Jesus. He's that person. He brings us together. Our presence is encouragement to each other. Right people shield you from wrongs. By yourself, you're unprotected. 
An enemy can attack and defeat you, but two can stand back and resist. And a team of three is even better, for a three-fold cord is not easily broken. You're going to be attacked. Critics abound. They abound. People are going to say wrong things about you. They're going to throw, people love to throw stones, don't they? It's like just, it's just an unbelievable thing. And there's going to be critics in your life. And someone asked me this once. I shared this once. They're saying, so what are you saying? We shouldn't ever listen to criticism. So I just want you to hear this. Yes, you should listen to criticism. But the criticism that you listen to has to be founded in love. If the person that's coming to you and offering you the critique, if they don't love you and are genuinely after your best interest, you have no obligation to listen to them. Oh, I get people want to criticize me all day long. I mean, I'm at the four year old. Well, I just got a few opinions. I got people send me messages on Facebook, and I mean, people give me all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm like, yep, delete, yep, delete, yep, delete, because I know they don't love me. There's no proof in their life that they have bonded themselves to me. There's no loyalty. There's no honor between you and I. What right do you have to speak into my life? You have none, especially if it's a negative criticism. If it's something that's constructive, and hey, by the way, you know, uh, Pastor, you look like you dressed like you were on a camping trip. I had some guy send me that message. I'm like, what? It's like, I think your church needs to chip in and buy you a suit because you dress like you're on a camping trip. What I wanted to say is I should wear a robe and sandals, and then I can be more biblical. That's really how I should dress. <laughs> but people say the dumbest things. They do. And there's a lot of critics out there. If somebody loves you, they can say things to you. And you should be willing to receive that. But if they, love is the highest good. If that person doesn't genuinely, and is not genuinely interested in your best interest, then you, you, you don't have any obligation to listen to them. You have the right to say no to that type of criticism. And most people think, well, we got to receive all this criticism. We have to receive. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Just saying. So the types of people we need, we need people that love and follow Jesus. Here's the problem with unbelievers. problem with unbelievers is that they don't have any accountability barriers on their conscience. So let's just say you're in business with a person, and you're in partnership with a person, and, that, and you follow Jesus, and that person doesn't. You have a moral conscious conscience. You have the Spirit of God in you telling you, that's not right. You have an ethical conscience. You have the Spirit of God saying, yeah, we probably shouldn't do it that way. The person that doesn't know Jesus, they have no moral barrier on their conscience. Some of you work with people like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, this is wrong. They're like, this is right. And you're like, no, dude, this is seriously wrong. No, man, this is right. And they have no barrier. We have a barrier. That's why it's, it's, it, we have to be careful, like the types of people that we collaborate with. Bible says, can two walk together unless they're agreed? If you're in business with people that their ethical standards don't meet yours or don't meet the Gospels, you might want to reconsider that. You might want to think about that. I had a guy one time, he couldn't work for this company. He was telling me about this company because they wanted him to short sell on people and basically rip people off on the product so that they could make more margin. And, and he was saying, but I really need the job. What should I do? And he was in sales. I said, you need to make a lateral move. I said, if being in sales and they're forcing you to sell a product that's inferior so that they can make more money and that bothers you, that, that, that's a witness against your conscience, but yet you need the job, I said, you need to go to HR and get a lateral move. And then I didn't see him for a while and he, he came back to me. He said, man, I moved out of sales and I moved into customer service. And he's like, I'm way more happier. But you see, he couldn't ethically work for the person in that department that he was working for because he didn't agree with selling somebody something that was inferior just to make more money. He, and that was where they would pressure him. 
And so he couldn't do that. So we have, a, have to have a, an issue with that because uh, unbelievers have no accountability on their conscience. That's why the Bible says it's not because an unbeliever is a bad person. It's because the yoking with that person is going to do it's Don't team up with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? There's no partnership, this war. Can light be friends with darkness? How can Christ and Satan agree? The idea here is that like they're coming from a completely different world than you. There's going to be tension. There's going to be disagreements. Be around people who are committed to growth, right? This is a pretty much a how-to here this morning, right? We want to be around people who are developing. Anybody like people who don't want to grow, right? Now, there's people that really just, they, you cannot be around people who do not want to grow. Talent and character. I say this to my wife all the time. It's amazing because, I, you know, we're in the people business. It's like I see women and they get married or they get interested in a guy that, you know, at an early age. And then when they hit about 25, something begins to change with them. They love that irresponsible, you know, carefree, go-with-the-flow kind of guy. But all of a sudden, as life begins to progress, they realize I'm with a person who doesn't want to grow. And they become dissatisfied with that. You know, what happens long-term, you have to be around people that are committed to grow. We have talent and we have character. Talent's only going to take you too far. So what does it look like for people to be willing to grow? They have to be willing to be coached. They have to be willing to be evaluated and look, look, experience isn't the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. You have to be willing to evaluate the experience and grow. You have to be willing to be with people who are willing to set aside a good idea for a better idea, who are willing to set aside a better idea for the best idea, even if it's not your own. There has to be a willingness to grow and develop. Integrity means that type of person, they do what they say. Now, this one should get a reaction. Does anybody here like people who don't do what they say? No. No. Yes, I knew that one would get a reaction. Because <laughs> there's people that just, I can't stand it. They just don't do what they say. Right? We have to be around people that have integrity. Integrity doesn't mean the person's perfect. It just means they do what they say. It means that they have an honor system, that they're willing to do what's right, even if, or, or an honor another, even if it costs them something. Humility. After this is what it looks like. These type of people, or the type of person we need to be. Say this with me. Humility is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. 24-7, <laughs> me, myself, and I, that's our favorite people. We walk into the grocery store, and we're like, everybody's looking at me. Look, everybody's looking at me. Where's the mirrors? I need to look at me, I, you know? <laughs> Humility is that you, you consider others. Humility is that you are, you're in a position of honor. You're not just thinking about yourself all the time. That's be, to be humble, to be humble. Generosity is a kingdom value. To be little people is to be a little people. To be great people make others great. So generosity, being generous with your time, being generous with your resources. Here's one. Being generous with your compliments. Being generous with your encouragements. There's a book I read a long time ago talking about coaching. Anybody ever read this? How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's an old one. Yeah? It's an oldie but a goodie. Hey. And the easy, I could summarize the book for you really easy. I'm going to give it to you right now. I'm going to give you the cliff notes on that book. Right? It says, if you want people to like you, you need to like them first. It's real easy. How to win friends and influence people. If you want people to like you, like them first. Simple. Ladies, you want a guy to pay, pay attention to you? Like what he likes. Laugh at his jokes. He's going to look at you and go, really? Wow, you like the Patriots too? Not that I like the Patriots. <laughs> But if you want people to like you, like them first. Like them first. It's true. 
Like what she likes, take interest in what she takes interest in. Be fascinated with what she likes. Wow, that's interesting. Listen to her, right? Empower other people. Help others who cannot pay you back. Third thing is loyalty. How rare is loyalty? Loyalty is very rare in this world. If you have people that are loyal to you, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, Christian family members, people that are loyal to you need to be treasured. They need to go up the list and stay up the list because loyalty is a rare trait in this world. People betray at the drop of a dime. People turn on you the drop of the dime. One of the verses I always quote is Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. He wasn't going to make a commitment to people that he knew were going to be disloyal. He was going to make a commitment to people that he knew he knew they were going to betray him. And so he owed them nothing. But those who were loyal to him, he gave himself fully to. Loyalty is a rare trait. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. What does loyalty look like? Somebody who's dependable. Somebody who's supportive. Somebody who walks in when others walk out. That's loyalty. I'll share with you a little story here. I have a friend that I've known for a very long time. Comes from a crazy broken background. Um, just a lot of brokenness and just shattered. And just even shattered to the point where he is incapable of dealing with the broken. The brokenness is like so rattling within him that he can't even come to the place where he can even begin to deal with it. And I found out recently that um, he was convicted of a crime and he was sentenced to 16 years. Now he did it, so he, he confessed to it because he's thinking, I'm a Christian, I should just confess to this, right? The justice system will surely take care of me. Who told you that? The justice system is radically corrupt, people. And so he confesses and admits to it, and they drop the hammer on him and give him 16 years. Crazy. For, for what he did, there are people that don't even do jail time. There are people that get probation and, and, and classes. And what he did, there's no justification for what he did. He did it. We didn't deserve 16 years, right? I mean, we see it all, time, all day long. And so the, the guy is in prison, and my, wife's been, my wife was reaching out to the family, and we've known him for years. He's in another state, and long, long history with this person. And um, Sherry was telling me stuff, and basically the family doesn't want anything to do with him. They're just completely cutting him off. They don't want anything to do with him. He's done. Guy's in prison, and I felt like the Lord's been dealing with me, and so I've been taking steps into this, and the Lord was telling me, Kevin, I want you to do this. I want you to make yourself available to him. I want you to put money on his books every month. I want you to do this. And I felt like the Lord told me, I want you to walk in because everybody else is walking out. It's true. Yeah, oh, I'm not looking for a plaque. I appreciate it. No, I'm just trying to show you like how it works. You know, is that a lot of times like, like there, we have every excuse in the world to be disloyal. The guy did something. He did something bad right? He did something deserving of punishment, even though others don't ever get punished for it, but he did it. And so everybody wants to shun you, and everybody wants to get rid of you, and everybody wants to get away from you. And I actually had a brother come to me and go, why are you helping him? Don't you know what he did? I'm like, yeah, I know what he did. I'm like, I'm aware. I'm crystal. I got it, you know? But Bible says this, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me. Now, who is he talking about? People we don't know, you know? What if it's somebody you do know? where everybody else is walking out on them. It's easy to minister to people you don't know. 
It's more difficult that when somebody damages you or you see them and they've been part of your circle and something like that happens and everybody disloyal and everybody breaks fellowship and everybody breaks covenant and everybody leaves, that's easy. You can be with the crowd. It's harder to step in and say, I'll step in. They gave him 16 years. My wife's like, what are you going to do? You're going to put money on his books for 16 years? I'm like, if I'm able to, I will. If I'm able to, I'm going to put a draft on my account. I'm going to send him money. So if you don't know what books are, that's the money that they get. He works for $1.17 a day, so that's what they pay him. So long story short, he gets about 30 bucks a month to, to spend in the prison store. Nobody's helping him. Nobody's giving him anything. Nobody's nothing. My wife visited a guy in jail one time that was begging somebody to give him $30 so he could buy a fan because there's no AC in the prison. In the summers, they get really hot. And she shared, she went up there, and they were going to give the guy money. You know, long story. They, 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 because they were one minute late, they wouldn't let him in. And they drove, her and her friend drove for like four hours. Long story, I won't get into that. But So I want to put money on it. I felt like the Lord's telling me, put money on his books. I'm like, okay, how much? It gives me a manageable number. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And so I'm writing him, and I'm waiting. He's going to come back. He's going to give me all the information. I told him, I said, listen, man, you may feel like you're, you, you know, we love you. We're with you. You know, you may feel like you're forgotten. You're not. <laughs> that type of situation, you can easily feel forgotten. And so what I'm trying to emphasize to you is loyalty matters. And if you have the opportunity to be loyal to people, be loyal. And if you have people in your life that are loyal to you, you need to put them up the list. And you need to mark those people because there's not a lot of them in this world. There really isn't. And the longer you live, the more you see the treachery and the betrayal and all that stuff that goes on. Lastly, you need to be willing to take risks. You need to be around people who are willing to take risks. Risks of faith. You want to be around people who are taking steps of faith and believing God for bold things. It's very important because that's what's going to inspire you to want to take risks of faith and want to move forward. It's actually a value of the kingdom. It's a value of the kingdom. And what happens is, is that we are to take the kingdom of God and we're to integrate it into every area of our life. Everything that we do is to be founded and rooted in the kingdom. Our marriages are to come from the kingdom. Our businesses are to come from the kingdom. Our lifestyles to come from the kingdom. Our choices are to come from the kingdom. Our money's to come from the kingdom. All causes are to be rooted in the kingdom. Any cause that is not rooted in the kingdom will disappoint you. <laughs> if your cause is political and it's not rooted in the kingdom, you will be disappointed. If your cause is money and, and it's not rooted in the kingdom, you will be disappointed. If your cause is, I'm going to have a relationship, but it's not going to be rooted in the kingdom, you will be disappointed. All causes that do not find their root within the kingdom, you will be disappointed. And so what we need to do is we need to be around people who do what they do because their lives are rooted in the kingdom, who take the risks that they take and make the choices that they make because they're rooted in the kingdom. It's a very important thing to find that type of person. So find the right people, move in the right direction, people that are living lives on purpose, and they live lives that are kingdom-centered. Connect with them and mutually benefit. Right people matter. They matter. So we're going to take communion this morning. So honored. Um, so uh, if Jody, you would come. And the greatest person that matters is Jesus. And you want to talk about loyalty? There's no one more loyal to you than Jesus. Nobody. He loves you on your worst day. He's for you when you're against you. <laughs> Talk about loyalty. He's the most loyal of all. So as I pray, and, or as we just begin to take uh, communion this morning, it's important that we understand what we're doing. 
The word communion comes from, it's two words, it's common union. And this is what we have in common. We have a common union together around what? Around the blood of Jesus and around the body of Jesus. The body that was given to us, the body that was broken for us, the body that paid for us, and the blood that was shed for us. And not only are we to have common union with one another, it's through the offering and the sacrifice of Jesus' life to where we now have fellowship with the Father. We now have communion with the Son. We now have the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of this, everything that Jesus did was an act of restoration and was an act of reconciliation. If you don't know Jesus this morning, we pray and you can receive Christ through prayer, but you can also receive Christ through even communion. What, what, what Becoming born again is just an act of exchange from the heart. Lord, I believe you are who you say you are. I don't understand it. I give, away, I give you my life. I give you my brokenness. I give you my failures. I give you everything that I am. And I receive to me everything that you are. And you can even do that through the exchange of communion. Because it really doesn't matter if you do it in front of people. That's fine. You say we should, we should do it in front of people. Absolutely. Your testimony should be open. But you can get saved anywhere. Anytime. Jesus dropped the bar on the floor. That's literally how easy it is to get born again. People struggle with that because we think we should make people work a little harder. Well, Jesus did all the work. <laughs> and all he's asking you to do is take a step. And the step that he asks you to take, he doesn't even expect you to understand it. He just expects you to believe it. You can believe what you don't understand. It's true. You don't have to believe, you don't have to understand every, we, we fly on airplanes and we have no understanding how that airplane works. But we believe that it's going to go, it's going to do what it says it's going to do, don't we? We sit in chairs, we have no understanding of how the chair works and how it's proportionally set to, each chair has a weight limit on, we know everything's got set in proportion. We have no understanding of how that chair, how the weight carrying load of that chair is determined. Yet we sit in the chair believing that it's going to do it, even if we don't understand it. You can receive Jesus without understanding him. Lord, I believe, I don't understand, but I believe. All that I am, I give to you. All that you are, I receive is mine. And so as we take communion together, I just want you to understand that simple principle. And so as Jody is praying, I just want you to make your way up around the outside, if you would, please. Just grab the elements, bring them back to the seat, and we will take them together. crucified he had a party people said it wasn't a party I'm sorry there were four cups of wine and a dinner it was a party and the Bible says that even when that party was over he went out into the garden and they went out singing singing tradition tells us that it's the it's one of the hallels it's one of the songs of ascent and they sang the song this is the day that the Lord has made I will rejoice and be glad in it why did they sing that because Jesus said because their days began in the evening and Jesus was saying, this is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day of redemption. This is the day when it all goes down and I will rejoice and be glad in it. He didn't go to the cross tearfully, woefully. He celebrated it. 
Was it pain? It cost him everything? Yes, it wasn't a pleasant experience. But the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You're his joy. This is why he did it. He did it for you. To know you and for you to know him. Yes, to be saved and to be forgiven. But salvation and forgiveness is merely the entrance to the doorway. You're in. You're forgiven. If you know Christ and Christ is in your heart, you're in. But Jesus didn't save you. He didn't come. You didn't do this just to save you. One of the things he tells people is he says, depart from me. I never knew you. So it's pretty important that we know him. And it's pretty important that he gets an opportunity to know you. And communion is about as intimacy, is about as intimate as they can get, as you can get. His body coming into us, his blood coming into us, one with him. The Romans thought that the early Christians were cannibals because they didn't know anything about them. They just heard that they ate the body of Christ and drank his blood. And so there's a letter written to one of the Roman emperors and said they're a strange and, and, and just really crazy superstition. And then the reference to them was being as cannibals. <laughs> Little did they know. So let's just hold it up. Say, this represents the body of Jesus that was given for me. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. Let's hold this up. Say, this represents the blood of Jesus that was given for me. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. Amen. Amen. Let me bless you. Let's receive it. We'll have a prayer team available. We have a few minutes, about 20 minutes in between the service. If you need prayer, we'll have a prayer team available for you for anything that you need prayer for. But let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Supernatural schools at 3.30. Invite you to come back.